This podcast is for entertainment purposes only and is not financial advice. Please consult professional help before making financial decisions. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Attitudes with Andy. Today, we're talking about finances. And if you're a young person, you're going to love this. We're going to leave this conversation with Mr. Algie Smith-Maxwell, who is an incredible investor and so, so knowledgeable. We're going to leave feeling very empowered and knowing the simple and easy steps we can do to create a wealthy life. I think right now there is a lot of fear mongering with finances, interest rates, and how young people are never going to be able to afford a home or to be able to retire. And so we talk all about that and we really debunk it. And yeah, I think you guys are going to love this episode. I forgot to say in the intro how much Algie loves his job and loves what he does. He adores what he does. He's generated a massive amount of wealth for not only himself, but also other people. And he doesn't need to be working for the financial reasons, but he keeps working because he absolutely loves what he does. And this is one of the key themes of the episode, but he also reassures us that guys, it's okay if we don't know what we want to do. We're so young. There's plenty of time. So it is honestly such a reassuring and empowering conversation. And I can't wait for you guys to hear it because we are learning from one of the best of the best. I feel very honored that we got to have this conversation. He is very well known in the investing world, particularly in the British investing world. So without further ado, here is the episode of when I was in England and got to interview Mr. Algie. Smith Maxwell. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Attitudes with Andy. This is a place where we get to learn and grow on how to be our best selves from the amazing guests that we have on. Today, I'm actually in England. We're on tour. We love that. And we have an amazing guest on who I've been wanting to get on for a while. But before I tell you who that is, today we're going to be talking about finances, building wealth, and generating wealth, and also talking about the cost of living crisis right now and the fear mongering that's going on and how we can empower all of you guys who are young listeners to make smart money moves so we can all live a good life. So today... Quite a big subject. Quite a big subject. (laughs) Today we have the perfect person for that. He has been in the investing world for 30 years. He's currently working at Jupiter, which is an asset wealth management firm in London they, you are the research director yes, for been, funds. Yes, absolutely. And yeah. I've been there for, well, since 2001, so over over 20 years. Yeah, but you started investing, uh, started your mm. career in 1993. Yes, long time ago. That's all right, I stalked you. Um, <laughs> so, without further ado, please welcome Algie. Well, thank Maxwell you very Smith. much for having me, and a very happy Christmas to you. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. This will be post-Christmas, but we love that. <laughs> And a happy new year. Okay, so today I would love to kind of start at the beginning. You have been very successful in your career, helping people make money, but also generating wealth yourself. Um, But I would love to kind of start from the beginning and talk about how you personally built your wealth. Wow. Yeah. It uh, it didn't look like it was going to be a very successful career for me I suppose when I started off in life because like so many of us I didn't know what I wanted to do Um, and so for those of you who are in the audience who are are, are listening uh, not sure what you want to do in life don't panic Um, that's my first bit of advice Um, you know it takes it takes a while to find your groove in life to work out 
what really interests you. And of course, you can't do that until you've tried a fair few things. And so I tried the army. Uh, I had six years in the British army. I became a landscape gardener. I went to horticultural college um, and I studied landscape contract management. And after a fairly short time, I realized that maybe um, the heavy lifting part of life wasn't for me and putting down York stone paving uh, wasn't my greatest skill um, at four o'clock on a wet Friday winter's afternoon. Um, but I made some great friends. And then I thought I wanted to go into finance in some shape or form because I love talking to people. You're very good at it. Well, <laughs> I, 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 I love listening to people too. Um, and I, I love listening to intelligent people. Um, and I've always enjoyed helping people. But how on earth do you get into the industry when you haven't been to university and don't have a degree? And that, I think, is more, more relevant to today than it has been for the last uh, 30 years. Because now, at long last, I think that society has realised that there are loads of very capable people um, who can do wondrous things in companies without having proven themselves to be academically intelligent by having gone to university. So for all those, all those people who haven't been to uni, don't worry, it's, it, is, it is not the end of the world. It is the beginning of something completely different. I love that. That's very comforting to hear. Mm, it's important. Yeah, yeah definitely, because people will always be like, you need to go to uni. No, but you need to prove, you do need to have proof that you are capable of um, being a great asset to a company. And um, there are a variety of different components, I think, to, to being um, helpful to people in a company. The first one is being a team player. Secondly, is people enjoying your company. The third thing is being really hardworking. And for me, in my early days, that meant working weekends as well as, as, well as weekdays. And, and then when you really get into your subject, then it becomes, it's not work, it becomes play. Um, it becomes your life. And if you can find that thing in life you really enjoy, before you get uh, into relationships that are long-term, with might involve bringing up children and things, then all the better, because you can really become very t t you know, tunnel-visioned, which and I've always been accused by my darling wife of being. Um, but that basically is, I think, one of the roots to success, is, is getting your head down and being pretty focused. Mm. So why did you think, I like talking to people, so therefore finance? Because I wouldn't usually put the two together. Well, what I realised was that I, I was never going to get a job working as a fund manager, uh, having not got a, a degree in economics uh, or, 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 any, or any relevant training. Um, but I've always loved selling. You know, even when I was a boy, I'd, I'd run across the, the, the back field to go and sell a couple of bags of, of um, cooking apples or plums, or whatever was in, the, was in the orchard at the time, to someone who was um, picnicking um, just at the, at the top of the lane. And they, they, could, they could never resist the answer of saying, you know, uh, uh, yes, of course I'll buy them. And I used to sell horse manure at the end of the drive as well, and that used to be a real winner in the, in, in the spring. So I loved the feeling of, of, of selling. But then I realised that 
when I thought of the idea of becoming a financial advisor, which is what I did, uh, people needed educating. And uh, it didn't matter how old they were, they, they, they needed help in ensuring their finances were under, understood and shored up for the future. And so that required conversations. And going to go and see these complete strangers um, and spending time getting to know each other and then doing the, the fact-finding mission to find out what actually indeed they wanted and then come back with some sensible uh, suggestions as to what they should do planning for the future um, became a lot of fun and very, very rewarding. And, uh, you know, I'll never forget my first, my first clients. I remember there's one wonderful chap um, who came from, um, he actually was born on the islands of St. Vincent, and I went to go and see him in Kensal Green, and uh, we met up, a, met up a few times, and uh, he eventually decided to invest in what I recommended to invest in. I remember he put in £50,000 in 1992 wow. into these you know, mutual funds, mm-hmm. um, which in the UK we call unit trusts. And um, once we'd, you know, we'd, we'd signed everything up and every, it was all sorted, um, he then said to me, will you try some of my homemade wines? Well, I mean, two hours later, I was paralytic. <laughs> um, I had to leave my car at Kensal Green and come and collect it the next day. But we were firm friends for years. And, you know, that, that's £50,000. If it had just compounded at a return of 7% per annum um, since 1992, it would be w- worth well over £200,000 today. Which is and around 400000 Australian dollars. Yeah. So, you know, that is the job. The job yeah. as a financial advisor for me, as, mm-hmm. and now as a fund manager for me, is to make sure that people retain the purchasing power of their savings. And particularly your generation. If I can help educate them how to how to save when you're young, my goodness, it makes old age so much easier. It actually enables you to be able to afford to do the career you want to do rather than just chasing money to be able to, to pay for life because you've saved in the early years. And that is lesson number one, save in the early years. Okay. Yeah. I love your passion. Yeah. This well, is actually, let me give you an example of this. Just yeah, to, yeah, just yeah, just yeah. to sort of frame what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. So imagine you had a twin sister. Mm-hmm. Okay. And from the age of 18 to 28, mm-hmm. you decided you were going to you were going to save a thousand Aussie dollars a year. Mm-hmm. Um, how much is a thousand Aussie dollars? That's 500 pounds. Okay. So call it two thousand Aussie dollars. Okay. A year, which is which is basically a thousand pounds, which is very reasonable. It's a very reasonable. So it's it, it's it's achievable. So, mm-hmm. in my currency, a thousand pounds a year, from the age of eighteen to twenty eight, mm-hmm. and if uh, you were to put that into um, a fund, which is a portfolio of shares managed by somebody very sensible, but not but not risk, high risk, um, and not reckless. Mm-hmm. And that was to generate an annualized return that averaged out at, say, 7% per annum. Mm-hmm. And at 28, you decided, I haven't got any money left. Um, for whatever reason, I'm paying my mor- I'm buying, I'm getting a mortgage or whatever, and you stopped investing. Mm-hmm. But your twin sister didn't start saving that £1,000 or $2,000 a, a, a month, a year, until she was 28. Mm-hmm. She, if she 
saved a thousand pounds a year until the age of 65. Mm. Again, getting that return of 7% per annum, her savings would never be as great as yours. Even if I stopped investing at 28? If you stopped at 28, the year she started, and she carried on all the way to 65, your saving pot will be quite a bit bigger than hers. And the the numbers are inaccurate here, but I'm going to say that your pot will be worth about £215,000 and hers would only be worth about £185,000. But caveat emptor, those numbers could be wrong. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that is the the early years are crucial to um, ensuring that you have savings when you get old. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. So number one is always put savings away. But should we have an emergency fund before we start investing? That's what I always hear about. And I'm like, oh, I don't know what to do. Yeah, well, of course, that is, that's, that is, uh, it's sensible to have an emergency fund, isn't it? Yeah. And what you've got to think about is how long a period of time do you need to be able to have that, that raft of safety for? And the older you get, the longer you need that period of time to be. So maybe for you, being, 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 being young and busy as you are, you might say three months is all I need is mm. to have a, 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 a safety fund. When you get to my age, and I'm, and I'm, getting, I'm knocking on to I'm 57 now, you know, I, I want to have a, a, a safety raft of, of a, a good year's income in an emergency fund. Because when I get ill, I get really ill. And when I, if I lose my job, then I'm not going to find a new job very quickly. And I've got responsibilities that are quite large with, with, a, with a young family. So everything changes but, and adapt to those changes. But one of the things we haven't spoken about, of course, is yes. compound interest, isn't yes. it? Yes, yes. And what does that mean? And the best way of explaining it is that, that I talked about 7% compound return per annum. Mm-hmm. And the best way of explaining that to someone who is not a natural mathematician Mm -hmm. is whatever the number is you're hoping to get as a return each year, if you divide that number into 72, that tells you how many years it takes to double the value of your investment. So, for example, if if you've got an investment that returns... On average, 10% per annum. Mm -hmm. Divide 10 into 72, it goes 7.2 times. Mm -hmm. That means it's going to take 7.2 years to double your money. Mm. That's that's all it means. But on the other hand, if you don't save and you keep the money in cash, assuming you're getting zero interest on your cash, and you say you had a thousand pounds in the bank if inflation was at five percent you divide 72 by five and you quickly work you quickly work out that over 15 years or 14 years you've you've halved the value of your cash mm-hmm. you can only buy, buy half of the amount of goods that you could have bought 15 years ago with that cash because inflation's eaten away at it so you must invest in something which grows 
to protect yourself from inflation. So when you say save, you mean actually invest your money, invest. not just sit in a bank account no. and save. Absolutely crucial to that the vast majority of your money is, is, is saved in something which is going to empower you against the ravages of inflation. Mm, okay. Now, do you think that a house or a flat is an asset or a liability? I personally think it's a liability in most cases. Correct. Thank you so much. But can we talk about that? Because so many people are like, I want to buy a house. Yeah. And I'm like, eh. they're so expensive to maintain. They are, aren't they? And then you've got to insure them. Yeah. And then you have, you know, then you've got all, then you've got all the wear and tear, particularly where you where you live, the just the sun is so damaging, isn't mm -hmm. it? Yeah. Um, and then you know it it's it's just it's an it's a bottomless pit looking after a property. Of course, we all have to have a roof over our heads. Mm -hmm. I would strongly urge your generation to to invest the way I think people should invest in terms of investing in profitable companies that have been around for a very long time through a mutual fund or unit trust and put their savings into that and not um, uh, not chain themselves up with the uh, with the responsibility and the liability of of having to take out a mortgage mm. and that takes like 30 years to pay it off. does and there's, there's there's what i call good debt and bad debt mm -hmm. good debts when you borrow money off people yeah um maybe to to in, to inject into your business knowing that the cost of borrowing it might be five or six percent or maybe eight or nine percent um but the 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 return on the on, on the um on the capital that you're investing in the, in the business might be 20 percent so you'll get, you're generating a much greater return from your from your borrowings than it's costing you to borrow. That's a very profitable thing to do. But bad debt is when it just drains your resources, and that's what mortgages do. Mm. So yes, we all at some point want to have a roof over our heads, but don't think, for goodness sake, that getting on the housing ladder is the most important thing since what we call sliced bread. Mm. Um, I didn't, my wife and I didn't buy our first property until I was 33. Okay. Yeah. So you wait, because I think I hear a lot of p parents saying to their kids, like, oh, you've got to get on the property ladder. You've got to, you've got to get on it to it now because it's only going to increase. And they kind of put this pressure. And then even within people my age, some 24, like if somebody's buying a house, people are like, wow, they're so successful. But then if another person is just like investing lots, that's kind of really like, overlooked and not glamorized yes and property i mean i mean the gold case in, in australia I mean, property yeah. prices are absolutely astronomically high aren't they, they and are. they probably always will be mm -hmm. um uh property prices can go both ways and you're highly geared you know if you if you if you've got a if you've got five thousand dollars in a property that cost a hundred thousand dollars mm. say for example say you've got ninety five thousand dollar mortgage mm. and the and the property falls in value by 10 percent then then suddenly your equity of five percent has been been wiped out um and you and you you are down to the tune of ten thousand dollars um because the 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 property is worth much less 
So I just think that mortgages are very dangerous things to take out until such time as you've got great financial stability. Mm. And then it makes people, like if I got a mortgage now, it would make me feel like I have to stay in this city. I have to stay working this job I don't like because I need to pay the mortgage. Whereas like because I don't have that, I feel like I can just jet off anywhere and do anything. Like I'm a lot more agile. And I think that freedom is so it's so valuable. Mm. You know, in your twenties, you've got freedoms that you'll never have again in the same way, and just don't, yeah, d- don't have yourself, you know, ha- hamstrung by not having that freedom. Mm-hmm. And that freedom to travel, that freedom to try different things, find your passion, um, but do not get financially tied down. Okay, so we want to have. Maybe three months of emergency or, or however much makes us feel good. Yeah. We want to start investing even if it's a little bit because we don't maybe have huge incomes right now. And maybe think about investing in shares or mutual funds instead of a house. Yes. For uh, now. For me, and and that is a, a very personal thing, mm. I would invest in a portfolio of equities. You know, even if it's... A passive index tracker in the in the sensible index. Okay, wait. Can we just <laughs> speak? Speak. <laughs> I get what you're saying. So, so, but can we just use simpler terms? Is what I'm trying to say. I've gone jargon on you. Haven't <laughs> yeah. I? Sorry, sorry. Everyone's like, what? Yep. So, um, there is an index called the the um, MSCI World Index, and it's it, it's an index of the world's biggest companies around the world. Uh huh. And before you've learned to feel comfortable about investing yourself, the best thing to do is just to put the money into something like uh, a, a global index tracker like the MSCI World Index. And you, you can do it through an exchange traded fund. And it's, very, it's a very cheap thing to purchase mm-hmm. through your broker. Um, I, as an, as an individual, massively believe that the best active fund managers, those that those that uh, believe they can outperform, for example, their global portfolio shares they choose, will outperform over the long term the world index. Um, I believe that the best people at managing money will generate far better returns than the world index. Than a basic index fund. Than a basic index fund. Okay. But you have to do the research. Because it's hard to find those. Uh, and it's, it's harder work. Um, but the, the, the world index as a, as a basic starting point is, is a very good place to go. Okay. So what if people have the mentality who are like, oh, I only have an extra maximum $100 a week, so £50 a week left over. Like, oh, that's not that much money. What's the point of investing? Well, how many weeks are there in a year? You know, that's, <laughs> that's they're 52, aren't they? So that's, yeah. a, that's, a, that's a lot of money. And it's amazing, once you've started that saving habit, it is amazing how much you can learn in that first year you do it and how much you realise the, the value of saving. And it, it's a great discipline. I, I, I just ne- nobody ever taught, I was never taught this. If, I be, if I, only I'd learned this when I was much, much younger. Um, I, I've learned more in the last 10 years Probably in the last five years than I've learned throughout my entire, you know, career as a, as a fund manager. I now, I now, I now get it. Wait, why? What happened in the last five years compared to the, twenty-five years prior? 
Well, you, you know, there are all sorts of things you think you can do, which then, you know, over the last, you know, since the financial crisis, I've learned that I can't market time, i.e. time the market. Mm -hmm. And the old adage of it's not timing the market that counts, it's time in the market that is important. Mm, so just buying so, and holding. So buy and hold. That's the key, buy and hold. So you buy great quality businesses or great quality funds or good quality exchange traded funds. Is that index funds index when you say funds, that? Index funds, yes, okay. absolutely. And uh, you will be looking after your long-term your, your, your long -term goals really well. Okay. It's so simple, isn't it? Yeah, so, it almost feels like it's. I think that's why maybe people we struggle to do it because it's so like unglamorizing. Yeah. It's not like buying a house where you get the physical thing. It's just so saving. I, so in the office, I, I, I'm teaching the people who work in my team. I'm teaching them to sit on their hands, mm. find the best people. They're all going to go through different periods of performing really well or performing badly, whether the wind is behind them or in their face, according to their investment style, because all managers have different styles. Mm -hmm. um, as in fund managers. As in fund managers. Yeah. And just because their style gets out of fashion over a year or two or three doesn't mean that they're suddenly not a good fund manager. As long as they've stuck to their investment process, then that hasn't changed. So, so I say... You probably only get one opportunity a year in our business of running a fund of funds, mm -hmm. where I pick a portfolio of fund managers, to make a real difference to our investors in terms of the returns we can generate. All the other changes we make are just res responding to, to, to noise, and they are so often actually detrimental to the performance of the funds so i'm teaching people to do as little as possible unless it's absolutely crystal clear that this is a brilliant idea mm. okay so you help find funds yes um can we talk about finding funds and fund fees because some fund fees are insane yes what's the highest fund fee you're aware of well that's a it's a really good question so when I was a financial advisor all those years ago, yeah. I found that the, the hardest people to get to invest in the things that they should have been investing in were teachers. Because teachers were always looking at the fees. And they weren't looking at what the potential outcomes were, net of fees, of making those seismic decisions to move out of cash and into a portfolio of, of equities mm -hmm. to protect them against inflation. Mm -hmm. Fees have come down significantly since those days. In those days, fees could quite easily have been 1.5% per annum. Okay. Today, fees would be much nearer, or they would average at three quarters of a percent per annum, I would say, mm. as, a, as a ballpark figure. Okay. The highest fee that I know of at the moment is about 1% per annum. So but that includes all dealing costs. And yet that particular fund manager, since he launched the fund in 2011, I think has generated a return of well over 
6% for the investors. Can we know so, who you're talking about? Well, there's no point in me mentioning the, the name of the fund manager because it's, it, it's trying to articulate the story behind. Oh, okay. It's the outcome that's important. Yes. You know, price is what you pay, performance is what you get. Sometimes mm. in life, it's worth paying for. Okay, so you think even if somebody is charging 1%, but then they're, you know, beating the index fund by a good 4 or 5%. Why not? You know, absolutely. I, be I believe in buying the very best people. And I'm prepared to pay whatever the price that I think is fair for that best person to ensure my clients get the exposure to, to that excellence or... Obviously, I've, I've retired from being a fund manager myself mm -hmm. um, a couple of years ago. So I now head head of research. But when I was a fund manager, you know, that's, that is exactly what I was pressing to do. And the other thing I was always pressing to do was have as much, be as brave as possible and maybe have 20, 30 percent just with one fund manager. You know, there is no need to have any more diversification in a portfolio for you than you know 30 companies so you only actually need to own one good quality mutual fund to have all the diversity you need one good quality mutual fund as in like an index fund or are you talking about just yes. one fund no you could have you could be I, I would have if you had a good quality global actively managed fund oh that charges for example one charge one percent and they were, they were good quality and they did a great job and they generated a return historically it was proven to be north of 7% seven, 7 you know, compounded per annum, maybe 8 9 10%. I mean, every, every unit holder is a winner. And what? that's what we're trying to do. But isn't there a risk of just holding one fund? Because I've heard horror stories of fund people forging numbers or, you know, well, it's not all legit or... Um, the the fund manager doesn't have control of the underlying assets. That's why it's within a trust. So you have a custodian who is actually responsible for looking after the assets. Um, and the, uh, the fund manager uh, is pure, purely, you know, has the, has the privilege of the day-to-day -day, um, implementation of decisions made within the portfolio. So the, the fund manager cannot run away with the client's money. Um, now, I personally, if you look at my, as, as Chatters, um, who is my great friend, who I've worked with since 1995, has always said, um, uh, uh, don't do what I say, do as I do as I do. And... Um, <laughs> I personally feel very comfortable owning five different separate funds myself because that makes me feel comfortable. Mm -hmm. So, um, and this is what I trade, educate my children to do. Own a growth style fund manager. Own a value style fund manager. Own a technology uh, fund manager because I think that's the winning sector over the next 10 to 15 years. And then you might want to have a global small, smaller companies fund manager, um, uh, and you might want to have a, a global bond fund manager if that's really what you want to have. But you know, there's no need to own more than five, five, five managers.
Right. Okay. And if somebody is kind of like, oh my goodness, this is really overwhelming. I want to start investing though, because you've convinced me with that twin story. Do you think, yeah, just dip your toes in with the index funds and I start with that? Just get started. Okay. You know, um, get, you know, talk to your friends, find, you know, find where the, the best app is that you can, you can start investing. You know, in the UK, we've got a, a variety of different platforms that people can use from Interactive Investor to Harvey's Lansdowne. Um, and you will have the same in Australia, I'm sure. And, you know, just get interested. And then you, you, will, find you, you will find your own way. Keep it simple. Keep it simple. That's what I always tell myself. I love that. Um, uh, have you read the book, The Psychology of Money? I have. Oh, I love that book. And he says how wealth is the money that you didn't spend. And I'm always telling myself that because I'm like, this is the money I'm not spending and I'm investing for future me. And I love that. So um, I think that I think that if your listeners learn nothing else, from today's conversation it is it is start young be brave start young get into that saving habit you only need to 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 pick uh you know a handful of uh, one mutual fund or a handful of funds once you once you once you've you've got your um head around um, how to go about it um and and then by starting early, let, let the money do the work rather than you having to work so hard doing something you don't want to do to make the money because you haven't saved early enough in your life. Mm, okay, I love that. Um, I wanted to quickly talk to you about, you know, this whole cost of living crisis. I feel like there's a lot of fear mongering happening right now and a lot of people especially young people are like, I'm never going to be able to afford a house. I'm not going to be able to afford to retire. How am I going to afford to live? You know, I went to shops the other day and a packet of chips was $6, which is three pounds. Oh, packet of crisps, sorry. Anyway, I just thought that was insane. Insane. Um, so I like usually I'm quite oblivious. I don't really notice the increase that much, but now even I'm noticing it, I'm like, so do you think this is just like a period of time where it's going to be like this? Or do you think it's going to be always hard for young people? Um, what do you think? <laughs> wow, what a question. So the, today's ec global economy is making life tough for all sorts of people. Um, and, and there's no doubt about it that the... the you know, to put everything in perspective, the hardships that uh, uh, families are suffering in in Ukraine and Gaza, just as two examples, you know, are you know, put what we're suffering into into the shade. Mm. Um, and our my parents, your grandparents, had the same with the with the Second World War. Um, and the loss of life and the and, and, and the, the families that were absolutely destroyed through through war. Uh, we um, we have we had the lights on, we have we have heating, and we have had an incredibly high standard of living. Um, 
uh, for a prolonged time. I think we had we had a unsustainably high standard of living um, that was escalated by um, zero interest rates for nearly nearly however it was fifteen years. Oh wow! And so, if you think when interest rates got crunched down post the financial crisis in in two thousand and nine. Um, you know, all all sorts of people and businesses have been able to survive as a result of being able to borrow money very, very, very cheaply. Um, and now the inflation genie is is out of the bottle, and you're absolutely right. So, you know, some of the very basic things in life uh, uh, have got a lot more expensive. Um, but I don't think it is something which we should be overly worried about. We're just going to have to work a bit harder and for longer. I don't think you're going to be retiring before you're 70. You know? Wow, do you think young people won't retire till they're no, 70? No, I really don't. And even if you were to retire at 65, um, you've got a good 80,000 hours of working life ahead of you. So... For goodness sake, as you would always say, because we're, we're all positive messages you do in your podcasts, you know, find something that you enjoy because you're going to be doing it for a very, very long time. So I don't think we're going to be able to retire. I don't think we can rely upon the state to produce our pensions. Mm-hmm. I think that, that state pensions uh, are different from one country to the next. The UK state pension is, to my mind, the nearest thing to the Ponzi scheme. Um, because it's not invested in inequities. It's basically reliant upon um, people who are working today, paying for people who stopped working um, uh. Uh, to take to draw their pensions. And it all works really well until you have, a dec- until you have uh, an ageing population with a declining youthful population who won't be able to support um, the 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 old and bold who um, are in rude health but have retired long ago, which is why the pension age is going up and up in the UK because that's the only way they can, they can continue to keep the Ponzi scheme going. So my attitude has always been just take control of your own life. And that's something which I did from a very early stage. When I was a very young man, a couple of things happened to me at home. I had a very, very lovely home life, and I was given a great education. But a couple of things happened to me which made me thought, think to myself, I want to take control of my life. And that was from the age, tender age of about 17. And it's so important that your generation take control of their own life and uh, and work as hard as they need to work to achieve what they want to achieve and uh we can we must only blame ourselves for what we what we do and don't achieve and not blame others for what we do and don't achieve because actually there's no glass ceiling we can all be incredibly successful i remember um a great line from warren buffett that fabulous investor who said i know that guy who said um A fool with a plan is going to be a lot more successful than a genius without one. So never underestimate what you can achieve. And luck 
is something which and most people have the opportunity of luck coming their way. But you have to identify that luck and then grasp it. Mm. And that might mean you have to change direction. And too many people are scared to turn left at the T-junction and change career or turn right at the T-junction because it's not working. The next job may not be the one that's for you, but the one after might be. And that might be where the career path comes from. So, um, so embrace life and the challenges that come with it. And there is, there is luck involved, but my goodness, those people who, who are immensely um, successful have grasped it with both hands. It, it hasn't just fallen into their lap. Mm, they've chosen it and they've been very focused. Very focused. Very focused. Very focused. But so if I save a lot and invest a lot, surely I can retire before 70. I'm sure you can. Okay, great. I'm sure you can. But but the funny thing is, is that um, if you enjoy your work, I my, one of my ambitions was to retire. Yeah. And then I, I've got to my age now and I've suddenly realized that actually the privilege in life, the honor in life is... Having found something you enjoy so much doing, you don't want to retire because actually this is a lot of fun and there's nothing more fun than teaching your generation about all the mistakes that Chatters and I have made, hoping, I think the next generation of, of our team are going to be a lot better than, than, than we have been, hopefully, because they would have, they would have learned from our mistakes. Hopefully they will learn from our <laughs> mistakes. So um, no, actually, working with young people is is really, I mean, it is really really rewarding. Oh, that's great. Mm. No, I think yeah. When I say retire earlier, I mean have the option to retire, but then maybe not because I might be, I will be loving what I do so much. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, the last question I want to ask, unless yes. you have anything else you want to. No, let's, let's, let's see what the last question is. Okay, the last question is, yeah. what is your thoughts on the statement, money doesn't buy happiness? I think it's absolutely true. Money does not buy happiness. Money does provide financial security. Mm. It does enable you to do things that give you shared experiences in life, particularly with your with your family, and there's there is there is no greater gift than to give experiences of life um, that you share with your with your with with your with your family. So if you if you if you are lucky enough to have been as successful as I've been, then my advice is. Don't collect too much stuff. Keep it. Keep life much more simple than I've done, and and spend your money in ways which give you great pleasure in sharing those experiences. And and it's the same with charity. Give to those charities which give you pleasure. Um, 
um, because um, that will that will give you an, an enormous amount of, of pride in what you have achieved. Of course, the question you originally asked me, I haven't answered, which was, you know, how did I become so wealthy? Yeah, I was just thinking that. Of course. I was like, we didn't answer that. No. Um, and um, not being a politician, I, I will answer it. Okay. Uh, I found two amazing people to work with. Uh, and one of them is John Chatford Roberts, who you have interviewed. I know that guy. The, the other guy is a guy called Peter Lawley, who oh. you haven't interviewed. No. And the three of us had three very different characteristics. I had seen at the, at, absolutely at the work face what investors were looking for the married couple who had some savings, what they needed to be able to achieve their goals. I'd sat there in the kitchen with a cup of coffee and talked through their financial affairs and we'd made a plan together and then we'd, and then we'd acted on my advice or the advice of the company I worked for. Um, and so that gave me a passion to do something that I thought was repeatable in a very large scale, but we needed a brand behind us that was going to give us the integrity in the UK marketplace that people would want to be associated with. And when when John and Pete and I got together, I realised that I had I had two very very talented people to work with. Um, I've never been somebody who has mastered the attention to detail my wife will tell you that <laughs> I tend to do leave jobs half done in the garden mm -hmm. um, uh, because I get suddenly attracted by doing something else um, Pete had this incredible uh, intensity of attention to detail and John had this incredible understanding of the global macro when it came to asset allocation mm -hmm. and I had this understanding of how to communicate with the with the um, investor, um, uh, how we would run their money for them. And then our clients became the financial advisor. So we sold our, our mutual funds, our unit trusts, to the financial advisors. And the thing that made the difference is every time somebody recommended our unit trust to their client, we wrote a thank you letter that had been signed by one of the three of us to the advisor for that piece of business and enclosed a new application form for the next time. So we knew that the, our, our, the Merlin portfolio application form would be at the top of their briefcase. Mm. And so we kept it... Hang on, was this your company called Merlin? Uh, or Merlin, were you working with Jupiter? Yeah, we, the Jupiter Merlin range of funds. Right. was a seamless range of funds from... Um, from uh, Low low risk to high risk, um, using fund of funds as the um, tools to generate the the returns, and um, we ended up having uh, very big support from the likes of Nationwide Building Society and HSBC and Skipton Building Society amongst others, and um, we totally believed in what we we're doing. Our, our sales team at Jupiter got it 
the advisor base got it and we used to go and see the advisors once every six months all around the country, it didn't matter what the weather was, whether the economy was doing well or bad, the stock markets were you know, on their knees or where they were flying. The best time to see people was when they were on their knees. They needed the support then. And we kept it really, really simple. And that enabled a very clear message to be repeated again and again and again. And then we generated the returns um, that exceeded client expectations. They never exceeded ours. They either met or exceeded client expectations. And if they didn't exceed client expectations as a free world, they could take their money elsewhere. And that's what should happen. Mm. Um, and that's how we built the business. And Ju Jupiter was the most incredible brand and still is today. And that's why we still run the, 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 the portfolios um, at Jupiter and we'll never leave. It's a very simple story. And it's been a lot of fun doing it. And now we've got the next generation in their 20s and 30s um, uh, uh, learning all our, all, from all our mistakes. And they're doing a brilliant job. So you kind of built, did you, did you build a fund? Sorry, I just need to yes. clarify this. So you were hired we were hired by build, Jupiter. We were hired to, by Jupiter. The to, asset management wealth firm in yes. London. To build a fund of funds business from zero. Oh, so you built that fund of funds. Business from zero. Okay. And we eventually, I don't know what we got now, we got a quarter of a million investors and the average investors probably got £30,000 invested with us. And it's the most important £30,000, you know, in their world. And we cannot afford to screw it up. The... It sounds really easy, but the real pressure of the job, and this is why, for anyone who's thinking of becoming a fund manager, this is why uh, you have to think about it very hard. Because, as you can tell, my passion is investing with people for, for our clients. But you wear it very heavily when markets go down. And it... It, every time markets crash, it, it's, like having a, it's, it's, it's like having a car crash and one more marble of courage is taken out of that bag. And so there comes the time, it did for me, after 20 odd years of doing it, that I thought there weren't enough marbles left in the bag. You know, younger people have, have more courage. And really? I think absolutely. And I think it's really important when you know that A... You haven't got the energy to interview as many fund managers as, as I used to, because the more stones you turn over, the more the more gems you find. And B, your levels of courage um, can can evaporate as you get older. And so it's so important to hand over to the next generation. Now, um, Pete retired uh, a long time ago, and John uh, has never had that similar experience. His his, uh, his, his courage and his passion is, is, is as high as it ever was. And so our different skill sets uh, are still very, very important within the team. And we think it takes about 10 years to train a young person in the team up to be ready to, to, be, to, to manage the money alongside us. Wow. Yeah. So it's not a, it's not a, it's not a quick fix. You have to pick the person who you can you can 
um, mold into being the perfect progeny to manage the money. And of course, one of the things I've learned over the years is that people who try to be excellent at something else in life um, have such a huge advantage, particularly sports men and women. Mm. And the reason is that they believe in being coached. They believe that they're not the finished article. Mm. And they believe that that teamwork is important. So to have people who believe in teamwork, who believe they aren't the finished article, who therefore have no hubris or arrogance, and who always have wanted to try and improve the process and evolve how we do things, is is it's so important to the integrity of of how our business will evolve in the future. And that's why it's going to carry on being a great success. Wow. Okay. So to summarize this conversation, <laughs> is there anything else you want to add in? No, I've said far too much. No, you've said amazing stuff. Okay. So to summarize, we want to make sure we're passionate about what we're picking because we're going to be working for a long time. We are. Um, but that's okay as long as we're passionate about it. We're going to start putting money aside each week or every time we get paid start investing just dip your feet in with some basic index funds yeah um we are gonna have emergency fund before we do that though because yeah. we don't want to i see some of my friends they'll like invest and then they'll be like oh kind of want to travel to europe or my car's just broken down and then they pull their money out of the investments so i feel yeah. that's not a, a good habit to get into can I give one bit of advice too? Yes. Is that, is that regular investment mm. uh, every month, it, the, comp, the compounding of returns really kicks in after 10 years. That's when it really kicks in. Oh, really kicks in after yeah, 10 years. Yeah. So after a year or two or three, mm. it might look like you, you have, you, you, your portfolio might be, still be down a bit. It could easily be down. Five, six, seven years, it could begin to make some, it would begin a little bit healthier. Once you're doing it for 10 years, you think, oh, this was an easy game. So you have to be patient. Okay. So patience is crucial. Mm, it seems like patience is a very overarching theme yeah, of hard. this conversation. It's really hard. Yeah, it is, isn't it? Mm. It's so hard. I'd love to do, use a compound calculator thing. I think you can just google you can google them they're, they're brilliant they're brilliant but i do notice like the nine to the ten years or there is one year where it just suddenly skyrockets yeah i can't remember what year it is but maybe it is the nine to the ten well, I, I tell you, once you go from 10 to 20 it's just magical okay this is exciting now i just want to invest even more yeah so you should <laughs> then you have then you then you can relax then you can then enjoy you your can then you can enjoy your job Okay, and then I think the last overarching theme would be make sure you're always learning and being able to be kind of mentored and coached. Don't think that you're, you know it all. And don't be, don't be afraid of working much harder than your peers. Mm. Yeah. I know, it, 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 is, it takes 10,000 hours to be an expert. At something. It's a lot of hours. That's a lot of hours. So, you know, just once you've found your passion, just get into it. And um, someone with a, with an average amount of intelligence with a with that ten thousand hours of passion, my goodness, you know, you can you you can really you can really um, uh, move the dial. 
Okay, I actually do have one extra question. Do you think it's better at our age to take a lower paying job, but one where we're going to learn a lot and it's really going to skyrocket our skills and ability or a higher paying job, a higher paying job that we might be kind of really good at already and there's not that much room for growth? Okay, so. And we're not that passionate about. Okay, so. In which subject was your best tutor at school in your last year? Oh, as in like what, which teacher, teacher was like? Yeah. Which subject was it? The one that was outstanding? Or what uni? Was there someone that was outstanding? Oh, 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 as in, te- as in the teacher? Yeah. Oh, um, oh, sorry, you're really... <laughs> well, for me, yeah. I hated physics. Yeah. I hated physics. I think I got 27% in my... In my uh, GCSE, or some, in those days it's called O level, mm-hmm. mock exam. Yeah. And um, I then changed my physics teacher mm-hmm. um, to Mr. Hudson, who was one of the uh, 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 one of the team that helped design the nose of the Concorde. And um, I ended up getting a, a B in my O level physics which was beyond my wildest dreams and so what I'm saying here is go for that low paying job if you're going to be if you're going to be learning from the best Mm. always learn from the best people because if you learn from the best people you learn very very quickly that's Mm. absolutely crucial don't sacrifice uh, that uh, that opportunity of learning from somebody who is outstanding it will it will save you years okay wow thank you i really needed to hear that i love that thank you so much well thank you for coming on and all your words of wisdom algae has a podcast so it's just called investing with algae am i correct very nearly it's called algae's investment podcast algae's investment yes. podcast and it's on spotify and it's really good is oh, it on other you. listening platforms it's on Apple. It's on Apple. And it's got a website, which is... Does it? Uh, algaesinvestmentpodcast.com. Ah, oh, I um, love that. And, yeah, I love doing it. I only do six, I only do six episodes a, um, a, a year. <laughs> I love that. And um, so you can binge every September. Yeah, every September. Perfect. Well, thank you so much. It's a pleasure. If you guys did enjoy this podcast, feel free to screenshot it, put it on your stories and tag me. You can come join the party on Instagram at Attitudes with Andy. We're also on TikTok and YouTube. And wherever you are, please feel free to press follow and subscribe as that really helps. Okay, bye. I'll see you next week. (laughs) 